Okay. Well, I remembered something you had said something about that you might have a question uh, that you would you know would talk about this week. But uh, since you've laid it aside, we'll just go ahead and pick up where we left off last week. And of course, we're using as our textbook uh, the book Ahava Hesed by the Kofitz Kaim, and we're actually on page seventy-eight. And this is the section that the Kofitz Kaim uh, talks about Hesed explained. Okay, so he begins by telling us about how great the virtue that this this idea of chesed is, and how that we should cling to this virtue. And of course, the primary text that he gives us is the passage from the book of Micah, chapter six and verse eight, <clears throat> where it states, "It has been told to you, old man, what is good and what God requires of you, only to act justly and to love." Chesed, or to love kindness, and I think we'd gotten to the middle of page of seventy-eight. <clears throat> so now he begins. He says, "So in our lives, every person must realize that appropriation of another's property may cause him to lose even that part of his possessions which he did honestly acquire, especially even when his own clothes are not attained by dishonesty or forceful acquisition, as we have learned from the words of Kazal." Well have they stated there, when the court concludes that the person that the clothes a person is wearing were dishonestly acquired and therefore orders that they be restored to the rightful owner, the loser should sing for joy. And, and we spoke about this, and I think this is something to do with the question that you had, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but remember that the idea that the court uh, declares that the clothes that the person has, has gained by uh, dishonesty uh, he is to restore, and he tells us that he is, when this happens, that he should sing for joy. And the Kovitz Kaim also gave us <clears throat> a great example of some men that had gathered together as a group, and they wore, of course, kind of a, I guess what we would term today as a gang dress, and how that they intended to amass wealth and so forth, and, and eventually... Uh, some of these men lost their cloaks simply because of their uh, of, of uh, to ensure some debts that they had attained to, and in the end, uh, they also sing for joy. Why? Because the other men that they were involved in that were wearing the same clothes that they were uh, had actually uh, been taken into custody or or, or had been killed. So now he goes on to say, he said, now we proceed to understand the verse. <clears throat> and he begins to tell us, that first of all, hey, he breaks this verse down. It has been told to you. Now when he says, when a person devotes all his energy to the acquisition of property and takes no care that his gains be free of the taint of robbery, forceful uh, expiration, dishonest dealing, and the like, he may delude himself into believing, at least for the present, he is doing himself good by his exertions, and that the reckoning will only come at the end in the world above. The prophet therefore enlightens us by saying, It has been told to you, man, what is good. And what the Kofis Kaim says, he intended to convey that contrary to the common belief, that it is good for man to amass wealth, what is really to his monetary advantage is to act justly. And of course this goes against basically uh, everything that our society uh, teaches and promotes. 
because our society uh, promotes the idea of materialism and the acquisition of wealth. But the real acquisition of wealth, according to the Kofi's Kime, and according to the Torah, by the way, uh, is that we should come to the realization that that's the acquisition of acting justly. Okay, do you remember your question now? Well, not the question, but an observation here. It seems that we have an example uh, in which uh, some wisdom is being communicated you know, directly from God in contrary uh, to you know, common belief or what perhaps logic would dictate. Now, I'm keeping in mind that uh, what appears in Scripture is uh, oftentimes things that we might not be able to come to uh, on our own reason or you know, other thing, otherwise things we just might not know. Uh, because uh, we discussed this last week, Jack, that uh, it seems it's a rule or it seems to be a pattern anyway with Scripture that uh, nothing that you can know is in there. In other words, what you're expected to know, that won't appear in Scripture. You know, God wouldn't need to tell you, uh, you know, for instance, uh, well, concerning the seven laws. The sages agree that you should be able to conclude them yourself. But in this case, when the prophet says, it has been told to you, O man, what is good, you know, to love, ju to act justly, that is going against what we would come to on our own reasoning. So here, God has to come into the picture and clarify something for us, it seems. Yes, and I think that's the point that he makes uh, with what the prophet is telling us and what the Torah and the Tanakh's overall teaching is, that on the one hand, if you're just living in this world and living by the society standards, and it's the acquisition of wealth, uh, the acquisition of power, um, everything that would benefit the individual, in the here and now, by the way. But what the prophet is telling us that the real acquisition, at least from the perspective of God and how we should uh, live our lives, you know, based on the Torah and based on the wisdom of God, what we should be actually acquiring is the sense of justice and living by that sense, by the way. So this is what he's saying. He said, it's been told to you, man, what is good. In other words, we don't have to guess about what's good. We don't have to look at the society norms to determine what is good. Uh, God, in his wisdom, uh, in his Torah, has already established what the good is. And the good is justice. Now, you have this, you know, central theme, I always call it, that runs the entirety of, uh, of the Tanakh. Uh, sometimes you just get glimpses of it. Other times it's just, you know, clear and outright. So one of those places I always refer to that is clear and outright, you go to, uh, excuse me, to the book of Breshit, and you have a conversation that is seemingly going on between God and Abraham. And it's actually uh, God revealing his thoughts to us about how should he react to Abraham. And, of course, this is prior to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and so we're really getting the mind of God when he's actually thinking, okay, should I tell Abraham uh, about what's uh, to, that's going to happen or occur to the people in Sodom and Gomorrah? And then it's almost like he answers for us, of course I should. Why? 
because I know Abraham and I know that Abraham will teach his children in his household the ways of Hashem and the ways of Hashem are justice and righteousness or mishpat, mishpatim and tzedakah and, and by the way the, the idea of chesed is, is covered within that, that idea of, of tzedakah at the same point, all of a sudden we understand the prominence, the ways of Hashem are justice and righteousness. And if we're going to live and to emulate Him, and this should be part of our whole lifestyle is to emulate the Creator, then we're to acquire that sense of justice. And so if we'd, <coughs> excuse me, if we'd actually spend as much time in the acquisition of knowing how to uh, dispense justice, to know justice, to understand it, to uh, to apply it in our lives, and you know, in, in the practical application of our days, uh, this is what we're here for. It's not for the acquisition of property. It's not for the acquisition of our of, of personal gain, but it's to learn how God dispenses justice and at the same time acquire that understanding of it so that we can uh, dispense it in the same way or at least in our lives we could understand it and how it operates in our lives and this is what the COVID's kind is conveying to us so while society may demand that we amass wealth uh, God demands that we should acquire what? that we should acquire justice not only that and, and we'll go on by the way as he goes on to explain the text but not only are we required to uh, to amass justice but we're also required to love chesed it's a little bit different but let's go on and see what Kovitz Kaim actually says so he says he intended to convey that contrary to the common belief that it is good for man to amass wealth and that's really the common belief of, of basically everyone uh, I don't care what kind of society or civilization that you get thrown into uh, most people are involved in the daily struggle of amassing wealth in one way or another. Uh, some to the extent that that takes up all their lives. That's all they do. And I mean, they spend, I remember watching uh, an interview with Donald Trump. Uh, it's been probably a, couple, well, a few years ago. He was on 60 Minutes. And he was having, it was kind of one of those slumps for him. You know, he was not doing too well in, in the financial situation. He was, uh, and, and they were asking him, you know, what happened? But this is after he's on the other side. Now he's back into making money. And I remember the words of Donald Trump so clearly. He said, I quit doing what I always had done. I quit doing what I've always done. <clears throat> now what had he always done? He said he spent 18 hours a day. 18 hours. Now you can remember this. He spent 18 hours a day of thinking about ways to make money. 18 hours a day. Now, your whole life is consumed with doing nothing but thinking about ways to make money, amassing wealth. Now, that's amazing. Uh, and, and people, generally speaking, we would say, people that are involved in, in amassing wealth, I just left him six hours for whatever, Andy. Uh, you know, uh, six hours not just to sleep, but he had six hours he had to eat, he had six hours uh, to sleep, whatever, you know. I mean, I'm assuming he didn't sleep a lot. Uh, couldn't have. But 
to spend 18 hours a day. What if, on the other hand, <laughs> let's say, what if he spent 18 hours a day studying Torah? Right? What a difference it would have been. You know? But he probably wouldn't have been on national TV being interviewed. Why? Because they're, they're consumed with people that amass wealth and amass power. They're not really consumed with the idea of people that amass the, the sense of justice uh, and, and want to know more about the sense of justice. But uh, 18 hours a day. So <clears throat> this is uh, you know what people do. And this is uh, how our society uh, looks at people because uh, you know he made it. Oh, he made it in the eyes of society. He made it in the people uh, that that's all they do. But as far as God's concerned, has he made it? You know, that's the real question. That he has no time uh, to study Torah. That he has no time with the idea of justice and to love chesed. Uh, this is what God has told us. He has told us this is the good. You know, as far as Donald Trump is concerned, the good is is amassing wealth. But that's not the good. You know, sometimes we don't even understand what the good is. Uh, for example, you know, if we talk about the afterlife, and you get into certain religions, and they tell you, oh, you're going to get this when you get to heaven, you're going to get this when you go to heaven, you're going to get that. <clears throat> but if I read the prophets, and if I read the Torah, if, for example, Isaiah says, I has not seen, neither has ear heard what God has in store for those. So, unless God tells us something, how can we assume that we know? And, and he talks about the good that he's laid up for them. Uh, we don't, what is that? You know? Uh, but we have other religions that they, they, they basically understand what the good is. <laughs> or at least they think they know what the good is. We don't know. You know? Uh, our, our whole purpose is not to live for the afterlife. Our whole purpose is living in the here and now. Our purpose is to to amass justice, to amass our, uh, to ourselves the, the concepts and ideas of loving chesed, walking humbly with God. This is our job. Uh, you know, whatever the good is, it'll be good. I don't, you know, I, I have no doubt about that. But to to try to to say it's going to be this or it's going to be that, I don't know. And, you know, if God, through his prophets, doesn't tell us, then we just don't have any idea. Okay. Uh, Andy wrote, uh, writes, uh, Rambam talks about this in Hillicote Teshuva. Other societies impose their earthly desires upon the next world. You're exactly right. Uh, and most of them, uh, 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 it's his Mishnah Torah on the laws of repentance, Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and this is the problem, you know. If you if you look at the uh, uh, the Muslims, for example, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, Rambam actually kind of picks them out and and talks about the fact that they have imposed these earthly desires. You know that they get the uh, the virgins, they have all the wine they can drink, and so forth and so on. And it's it's. Uh, Yes, he does mention them. He mentioned them specifically. Why? Because, uh, because they're, they're, they're imposition or they're imposing 
the idea is like lasciviousness. You know, it's it's the the fulfillment of their earthly desires, and of course, nobody knows. Uh, so it's you know you can speculate, but you know unless God just tells us forthright what it is, speculation is no good. Uh, so according to the prophet Isaiah, eye has not seen, neither has ear heard, what God is in store for those. Uh, who serve him so you know if if the prophet can't tell us uh, if we have no idea then we shouldn't be offering up any kind of suggestions about what what it's going to be like unless we have something from the Torah and and, and even you know from the oral Torah uh, as long as it comes from the Torah then we can say okay well there, there's probably some reality to that but until then we can't do it but again, this again is comparing, and we're not really trying to veer from the subject, but what I want you to see is comparing society and how society thinks about certain issues as opposed to how the Torah and God thinks about certain issues. So society says amass wealth, God says amass justice, right? Totally different concept, okay? So he says, uh, what is really, uh, the Kofus Kaim says, to his monetary advantage is to act justly, to scrutinize all of his transactions so as to ensure that his profits were acquired through means approved by Torah law. Now, I think this was a question maybe that you we were thinking about last weekend. We were talking about what if an individual works uh, for a company that uh, is not, you know, not living up uh, to the greatest degree, or, or maybe even to the least degree, of the Torah standards. Uh, should we continue to work for a company like that? Uh, how, how, how do we operate in a system like that? Well, according to the Kovac Kaim, he tells us here, we should scrutinize all, all of our transactions. <clears throat> uh, the business is legitimate, the way they go about doing it is not. Y yes. Uh, but he says, you know, we have to scrutinize our own to ensure that the profits required through means approved by Torah law. In this way, we'll make certain that his possessions remain with him. This is what scripture means by only to do justice. Uh, so if we acquire any kind of possessions and we acquire it unjustly through means that are not proper according to the Torah, then it seems that uh, that they will not remain with us. Okay. Now I know there's all kind of questions that come up. What about the the rich people that just live a certain way and they don't care about Torah, they don't care about serving God? And, and I always suggest to people <clears throat> you need to read the last chapter in Malachi. Read the last chapter. Uh, there's one group of people that that brings a complaint against God, and the complaint is, uh, look, you know, we we've kept your Torah, we've done all these things. And, and we're getting absolutely nothing for it. Uh, and, and God says, you know, you, you've spoke strong words against me. And they say, well, when did we speak these strong words? Because you said, you said, you know, we've, we've done all this and we're getting nothing out of it. And, and, and then the same group chimes back in and says, well, look, over here's the wicked, the evil people, and they're prospering, they're doing good, and, and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, they're ready to switch sides. You know, uh, 
because now they're not really concerned about amassing justice and chesed. They're concerned about amassing wealth. That, that's their only thing they've chosen, you know, picked out to do. So what we do is look at the other group, because there's two groups in that text in Malachi, and the other group, uh, it only says about them, he says, then there were, then, then there were those that thought on his name. And, and then all of a sudden, we have this communication from heaven where God says, uh, somebody get a book and write down what they're saying. Right? Get, get a book, write down what they're saying. And then it goes on to the, the rest of the scenario. So you have one group of people that are just thinking about his name. And his name includes, you know, those concepts that we talk about, of justice and righteousness, because it's not just a name. But a name kind of represents everything that an individual is. If someone knows somebody, and so God's name represents, you know, all that He is. Uh, and so all of a sudden, He says, "Write down what they're saying about me," you know, and, and kind of amazement. And He says, "These are the ones that will make up my the the, the jewels in my crown," you know, in the day uh, in the world to come if we want to refer to it that way um, and then the other group he brings their, to their attention he says look you know you have to wait to the end to see how everything plays out and in the end the wicked people will get their just due right uh, and the righteous people will get their just due also so we don't always understand God's sense of justice but if we trust him, and this is back to that reliability factor, if we trust him, then everybody will get their exact due. And this is what we should think about. Everybody is going to be okay. Will the evil people get uh, repaid? Uh, sometimes in this world, but basically he's talking about in the next world, you know. Uh, there's, there's a nice passage in the book of Proverbs, for example, where King Solomon says, uh, even the wicked are reserved for the day of judgment. In other words, even the wicked, it seems, falls within the purposes of God. So we don't always know. Now, it's not the fact that he made them do wicked. It's just the fact that they are wicked. And and because they are wicked people, he, he uses them in his plan. You know, we don't know exactly how that all works, but that's the way it works. And so King Solomon says even the wicked are reserved for the day of judgment. Of judgment. In other words, I have a purpose. Okay, Andy, hang on just a minute. I need to clarify what I uh, wrote there. Hashem extends His mercy even on the wicked in this world. That uh, uh, He can sometimes allow them to do what they will you know, on this earth, and we don't always know uh, why that is the case. Uh, there are different reasons. Sometimes it can be because he is giving them a chance, giving them time uh, to do repentance. Or there's a teaching among the sages, and I'm sure you've heard this, Jack, that sometimes uh, the people people are so uh, steeped in evil that uh, there is really little or no reward for them in the world to come. So the, all the reward they receive is in this world, and then all the punishment is safe for them in the next world. And I know I'm touching on something super complex, 
And of course, Rambam gets heavy into it in the laws of repentance. But I mean, that was my intention with that statement. Okay, and, and, and I agree. You know, I mean, look, you know, uh, as best as we can, we try to understand God's justice and how everything works. And and just in that last chapter of Malachi, where you have these people, uh, the two groups of people, you know, that's that's uh, the wicked people and the righteous people, and then you have the other group that's kind of in the middle of it, that's trying to understand, you know, how the wicked. Basically, it's that question of how the wicked prosper and why do the righteous suffer. I mean. And, and and God is trying to answer it in the sense that everything is not always as it seems and that there is a coming day of judgment and that there will be judgment uh, based on how people uh, reacted to him and to his Torah, to his, to his teachings, to, to humanity. So you have one group that expends their energy on doing nothing except thinking on his name. Uh, you have the other group <clears throat> that's expending energy, by the way, in wicked ways, amassing wealth to themselves. And then you have the other group that's kind of the middle is saying, you know, look, this group's doing this, and look how they're prospering. Look at this other group. They're not doing so well. So which group do we choose to go with? Well, if you're just living, you know, in this world, then and, and you're thinking about material things, then you're going to join this group over here that's amassing wealth. If you're not so concerned with this world and the concern with amassing wealth, but you're more concerned with amassing justice and, and serving Hashem, then you're going to be on the other side's group. And then eventually, based on what the prophet says, that eventually everybody's going to be rewarded uh, proportionally to what they tried to amass in this world. So it's either amassing wealth uh, through any kind of means that's, that's, uh, that's possible. Now, it doesn't mean to say, by the way, that righteous people don't amass wealth either. You know, God chooses righteous people to amass wealth, but they don't spend their entire life doing that, and they don't do it through means that are unjust. You know, they scrutinize uh, every action that they do to, to ensure yeah, the great story, by the way, if you really want to understand this, is go back and look at the uh, situation between Abraham when, remember when the uh, cities of the Dale go into captivity, you know, uh, by the five kings. And, of course, Lot and his family goes, is taking captivity. <clears throat> and Abraham and his servants, his disciples, they go out and, and they bring the city back. And remember, the, the kings say, well, just take anything you want. You know, anything you want, you, you can have it, Abraham. And what was Abraham's word? You know, I won't take anything, right? Not even uh, a, a shoe latchet. Uh, why? Because I don't want anyone thinking <laughs> that you all, or, or that you could even say that I've amassed wealth from war. That's interesting. Uh, so it, it's it, you know, there might be a doubt here, and Abraham is not going to allow that to creep in. Abraham is going to be wealthy, but his wealth is going to come from Hashem, and it's not going to come from uh, what may seem like an unjust way. It's a great story if you go back and look at it in that sense. 
and, and understand the, the, the concept of justice that Abraham has there. Exactly, Abraham, uh, as Andy says here on the screen, Abraham demonstrated that he was concerned with acting justly more than he was with wealth, uh, and, and not amassing it, exactly. Uh, and, and, th and that's my point, is that you, 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 you have these stories, <clears throat> and, and you see the reality of them, and you see these great men of God that were wealthy men, but they didn't spend their time trying to amass wealth, and they certainly would have never spent their time uh, in unjust ways of trying to amass wealth. On the other hand, the people that was trying to give Abraham the money had done just that. <clears throat> if you go back and read about Sodom and Gomorrah and you look at how the people live their lives in this horrible place and, their, and the rules of, of law uh, that was in this place, they used the laws uh, that they had created to, for their own benefit to amass wealth uh, from, from strangers. Uh, so that's one of the stories I always go back to if you really want to get a clear picture about this. Okay? <clears throat> so the Kofitz Kaim goes on to say, he says, in this way we'll make certain that the possessions remain with us, and this is what Scripture means, only to do justice. Now he says, next the prophet adds, to love chesed. So what does he say here? He intends to convey that no one should deem it sufficient to ensure that his possessions are free from the taint of dishonesty and believe that they will therefore remain with him and that good will bestowed him bestowed on him on this account <clears throat> excuse me he is also to dispense kindness and charity proportionate to his means i think that was one of the other questions Andy, by the way uh, how much do people give you know how much do you set aside to uh, to give? And and remember, he says that we should dispense kindness and charity proportionate to his means. Uh, yeah, and, and I think I probably answered it to a small degree, but maybe let's go a little bit further. One should never give, uh, and I can't remember. You know, I'm I'm just kind of bouncing the stuff off my head for I've read where I have read all this information from the sages. But one should never give uh, till it hurts him or his family. In other words, you should be able to give without taking away from, you know, from taking care of yourself or your family. Because it, let's say that, uh, let's say you went out and just gave everything away, right? What would happen to you? you then would become dependent upon society to take care of you. Well, you can't do that. That is against Torah. So, you know, if, if you want a, a good rule of thumb, the good rule of thumb is always 10%. You know, uh, you, you say, well, where does this 10% idea come from? It comes all the way back to Abraham, right? Because he says, now I'm not taking anything personally from you, but I'm going to give 10% of to whom? to the priest who was the priest at that time the priest was Melchizedek right uh, commonly known as uh, of course as one of Noah's sons Shem uh, but, but he gave the 10% so that maybe is a good place to start from and, and I think a lot of people start from that perspective 
some people give 20% of their income. I, I know uh, certain businesses that they operate that way. Uh, if you remember uh, Jacob when he was leaving and going uh, to his uncle's home, that he spent a night in a place called Bethel, which eventually became, you know, the, the house of God. Uh, but there he met El Bethel, which was the God of the house of God. And Jacob made a promise that he would give what? Do anybody remember? Now, and you got to remember this promise that he's making is at this moment in, in Jacob's life, he's penniless. So he's actually making uh, a commitment on his future income of what he, what he's going to gain. So does anybody remember what what he promises to give? Don't remember the story, Andy. You know, he he picks out a rock, you know, and he sleeps on it with his head that night. How about ten percent? Sound pretty good. It would seem to fall in the line of his uh, grandfather, you know, that 10% seems to be uh, something that that kind of falls into line. Uh, so, uh, you know, I would suggest that's a good place to start. But if, and on the other hand, by the way, remember what the Copas Kaim is actually saying here. He says that we should dispense kindness and charity proportionate to his or her means. And so if, you know, if we have a large income, uh, sometimes just giving 10% is not it. Now, uh, I used to talk to people about, you know, does one give of their wealth or out of their wealth? That's a good question, right? I mean, you have to stop and think about it for a minute. Uh, let's say I'll make Andy a, uh, a multi-millionaire. <laughs> <clears throat> Presto change your Andy, you're a multimillionaire. Now, let me ask you a question. Now that you have become a multimillionaire, and you're going to give proportionally, right? Are you going to give out of your wealth, or are you going to give of your wealth? And, and, and if either one you choose, let me know, and then give me an amount that you would give. I'm going to give that one a shot. <laughs> you want to try that one, Andy? Well, let's... let's am I still on? Okay, Andy, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I got bumped off, and I'm back. <laughs> uh, so for those that hear a little gap in the lesson, and this you know, problem with technology, I guess. Uh, but uh, did you hear all my questions that I presented to you? Okay. 
uh, and that's the real question. That's you know, and it's just a matter of a, of a preposition. You know, uh, of your wealth or out of your wealth. Now, let's say that uh, let's say Andy, for example, that uh, well, let's kind of stick with the dollar amount when we say out of your wealth and of your wealth. Let's say you had uh, thirty million dollars. Okay, thirty million, and you gave three million to charity. Yeah, we're saying that you have thirty million. Good, good round number, right? <laughs> Multi-millionaire, thirty million dollars, and and you decided, you know, I'm going to give three million to charity. Now the question is, did you give of your wealth, or on, or have you only given out of your wealth? Okay, well, still don't quite understand the difference with that phrasing, but this is what I see. I have given 10% of my wealth uh, to charity. The question that has to be asked is, uh, well, that helps answer if this amount is proportionate or if this is the right amount to give or not. And that is, what is, or at least I'm thinking, what is my budget? Do I have a lifestyle budget that equals $27 million. I really can't imagine how that would be the case because, as we know, uh, what is always considered uh, uh, a good mode of conduct among the pious is not to be con not only not be concerned with amassing wealth but also uh, living lavish lifestyles. So I don't think that I would have a lifestyle that would um, warrant a $27 million budget. So on that basis, $3 million would probably not be sufficient. My guess, right off the bat, let's say if I had a family to support and all that, let's say 100000 a year uh, is, or let's say 100000 versus uh, $30 million, all right? If I had $30 million and I only needed 100000 for that year, then, and that's everything, that's uh, you know, debts and savings, investments, and that means the remainder of that could and should be given to charity. What do you think? Well, I, you know, here's the the idea is that, and I'm saying that you got thirty million dollars clear. You know, let's say you're running a business and and you can't give you know everything away because of course you have to pay for if you have employees, you know, their salaries have to be met. But but you have thirty million dollars to to play with. You know, not counting the access to continue the running of the business uh, to operate. You know, uh, I'm just talking about the $30 million clear. Well, if if I give of my wealth, right, I would give, you know, $18, $20 million. That's of my wealth. If I'm only giving out of my wealth, then I would give the two or three million bucks. That's out of my wealth. But if I'm really giving of my wealth, then that changes the whole perspective. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying, look, you know, you got $30 million and, and you can do with it whatever needs to be done. But that's kind of play money. Let's say you, you had a business, you know, uh, but you've got the money to take care of your, 
you know, you got to get everything in reserve to take care of the salaries and to operate the business expenses, blah, 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 blah. But the 30 million is just really something that you can use to, uh, to give. Exactly. It's disposable income. You know, the question is, do I hang on to it? You know, do I take the, the idea of society says amass this wealth and amass some more wealth so, you know, I have more and more coming in? And, and of course, God's sense of justice is the way, in some sense, the way you amass money is to give money away. I mean, it's, uh, it doesn't seem like it works too good in the law of society, but in God's law, that's the way it works. And, and I say when one gives of their wealth, they're actually committing a large chunk of their wealth. But when you only give out of your wealth, then you're only giving a small amount, something that is not even, uh, exactly, right. Uh, but ultimately just and wise, absolutely. So uh, sometimes, as, as we know, Torah doesn't always go along with our thinking, you know. The prophets put it this way. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. Why? Because his ways are much higher, much uh, better than our ways. And his thoughts are much higher than ours. So it, 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 it's the sense that God knows the best for us as individuals and, and we should be choosing the good that he set before us and then acting on that. Okay? So that, you know, that was just kind of my example of people giving other wealth and people giving other wealth. And it seems when they only give other wealth, they're just giving a small amount. But when they actually give out of their wealth, then they're giving a large amount. Uh, and so, the, you know, as the Copus kind points out, uh, we should give how? in direct proportion to our means, right? So if we just kind of slushed off three million bucks, that's not proportionate to our means. Our means is to give this large amount, okay? So he goes on to say, uh, he is also to dispense kindness and charity proportionally to his means. Otherwise, God forbid, his wealth might gradually be reduced as related in Kurtovot 66b uh, concerning Nakdemian Ben-Gurion. In other words, we have a case in point where somebody did not dispense it according to their proportional means and eventually it was always taken away. And we've heard stories uh, like this uh, from time to time uh, that God uses certain people as, as agents to amass wealth and to carry out their job of, of, of distributing this wealth to the people that are in need, uh, to other people. And, and when they choose not to be the distributors, then what they have is taken away from them, and they're no longer capable of massing wealth. Now, he goes on to say, next paragraph on page 79, as for the choice of words to act justly in love chesed, rather than, in other words, you know, sometimes we can learn uh, from Torah, from the Tanakh, a lot of times we learn a lot about what it does not say, and here he points out, okay, here is what it does say, but here's what it does not say. It does, it does not say to act with justice and chesed. The prophet has thereby drawn our attention to a new important lesson to an area where almost everyone is at fault. Indeed, we all perform acts of kindness, but we are kind only under pressure. Well, that's true of a lot of people, you know. Uh, 
uh, how many times do we run out and find somebody to give to? Uh, on the other times, how many times have we been approached by people uh, and have asked us to give? You know, a little pressure is applied, and, and then we respond, right? So sometimes people only give and are only kind, only under pressure. When a person is distressed, needing our favor, turns to us once, and again the second time, we find it difficult to avoid him. Right? So we extend help to him. Even then, we act not at all willingly or kind-heartedly. So the prophet exhorts us, what does God require of you? Only to love chesed. Right? You should not think that by your occasional acts of kindness you have discharged your duty completely. Instead, one must possess a love for this mitzvah. And that's quite different than just fulfilling the mitzvah. Is it not? Yes, if somebody approaches me once or twice and finally I give in and, 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 and act appropriately toward them, either by doing a kind act or giving them zadaka, uh, then I fulfill the mitzvah. Right? But the real thing is that to properly fulfill the mitzvah, one should love the mitzvah. Okay, Andy? We'll let you close her out today. Thanks. Well, here's the thought I'm getting about this. That perhaps the prophet had spent time on this mitzvah, on this commandment, uh, because precisely because it needed clarification. And my understanding is that uh, before the rest of the uh, writings of the Tanakh were canonized, a lot of these were just dis were strictly a part of the oral tradition. And so a lot of the teachings and exhortations of the prophets were to elucidate parts of the Torah which uh, the people, the Israelites, had been slack or uh, or somehow just not getting like in this case with uh, Chesed. I mean, here's a, a mitzvah that needs some explanation. And it's interesting, too. I think you see this, Jack, that uh, the prophet, he's explaining the objective. And yet the objective itself is not a mitzvah. In other words, the, the God does not command, does not directly, explicitly command one to love kindness. You know, but to simply act with it. And then this go, this ties back into our initial discussions about how much reason plays into uh, arriving at the conclusion of what our obligations, that is, that uh, uh, God has given us a mind to understand these things, and he's not going to tell us everything explicitly. He wants us to use our minds. So it seems that it was sufficient for God to command one to act with kindness, but to uh, love kindness, this is something that someone uh, should have concluded you know, by acting scrupulous, scrupulously according to this commandment, as well as uh, the you know, commandments regarding uh, just acquisition of wealth. Um, and it seems that at the time, the people weren't getting it, so that's why the prophet came in to help the people along with this. Uh, that's that's what I'm getting. And it's interesting that he spends time on this because it seems to properly fulfill this mitzvah, it's not just that you know having the proper motivation 
is a, a matter of uh, piety, but that this is part and parcel of filling, fulfilling the mitzvah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and and I, and and that's a good explanation. Uh, really, you know, there's just no commandment that says you have to love doing this. Uh, but there seems to be this moral obligation. Now, where should we pick up this moral obligation from? Uh, we should pick it up from the Creator Himself, right? From Hashem. Because He loves doing kindness, right? And, and our goal is to do what? To emulate Him. And so, if He loves kindness, okay, we're commanded to do acts of kindness, and, and, and we do. Uh, Sometimes for different reasons. Sometimes because we're pressed to do it, you know. So somebody comes and approaches us and we respond to them because we're, we're pressed to do it. Uh, there are other times that maybe people give in such a way that they gain fame, you know, recognition for themselves because of what they're doing. Uh, but either way, I mean, they're, they're fulfilling the act, right? But the real success, the real success of doing the mitzvah, the real, uh, the really discharging the duty the way that it should be discharged is, is that you love this. You love doing this, you know. Uh, I always remember in the book of Eov, you know, in the book of Job, Job is talking about how he acts toward the idea of justice and righteousness. And he, and he compares justice to a uh, a diamond, I think, and to righteousness as, as clothes or a cloak that he puts on. And he gets up every morning and he dones them. You know, the diadem of righteousness uh, and the cloak of, of justice. I can't remember which one it is. But in that section, he, and then he says, what, what do I do once I don these? Then he says, look, you know, uh, I take care of the widows. I take care of the orphans. Um, when when he sees, uh, he became. He says he became feet to the lame. He became eyes to the blind. Uh, and he goes on and goes on. And 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 he's not waiting for these people to come to him. He's actually going out and interacting with these people. He's he's doing something. And and it, and it's not just in his neighborhood because eventually he says. He says, you know, when, when I can't find within my, my own neighborhood something to do, I go out looking for ways of doing justice and righteousness. Uh, and he says when he finds the evil people that are that are subverting justice and righteousness, he says, I break their teeth out. Uh, I mean, that's the idea, I think, that the real idea is that not only just uh, waiting for people to come knock on your door, but you're out looking for an opportunity to perform these acts of justice and righteousness, which includes uh, chesed, you know, the idea of loving kindness and doing acts of loving kindness. And so let me just close with the words of the Kofitz Kaim again. Uh, he says, what does God require of you? Say, so this, this is the real question. What does God require of you? Only to love chesed. Now, what does that do with a commandment? <laughs> See? What does that do with being commanded to perform chesed? Because the prophet says that the only thing that God 
requires is that you love this. Not that you just do it, but you love it. It's a big question between being commanded and being able to love a certain act. So what does God require of you? Only to love chesed. And so he, he concludes that with, based on what the prophet says, he said, you should not think that by your occasional acts of kindness you have discharged your duty completely. I didn't say that you haven't done it, but you've not discharged it completely. Instead, if you're really going to carry this to its fullest extent, one must possess a love for this mitzvah. It's a love for doing acts of kindness and compassion, uh, and, and you know, and it, sometimes it involves uh, monetary. Sometimes it involves doing things for people that they cannot do for themselves. Uh, it involves taking care of the widows, the orphans, and the stranger. Uh, and, and really, you know, what do those people have in common? Uh, they can be easily oppressed. Uh, and somebody should be there to defend them. As uh, Isaiah pleads with the people in uh, the book of Isaiah, he says, uh, he, he tells the people, come let us reason together, and though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as the wool, the snow, you know. But then, he says, what's the problem here? He said, plead for the widow, right? Plead for the orphan. These are the people that are easily oppressed, that nobody has anybody to stand up for them, nobody to feel compassionate for them. Stand up for these people. Justice, chesed, loving kindness, and, and, and love these ideas. And so the Kovac Khan is very clear when he says, just because you do a, occasional acts of kindness, do not think, don't let the thought enter your mind, that you have discharged this duty uh, completely. Instead of what he says, one must possess a love for this mitzvah. Okay? Uh, any questions or comments over what we've gone over today? Our time is already up, by the way. Uh, time flies sometimes when you're having fun. And it's fun studying Torah. And the ideas that's in the Torah. Okay. Well, Andy has none. So, uh, if you come up with any, you know, during the week, you can send them to me and uh, uh, we'll try to address them. Or, you know, we can, you can bring them up next week in our class. So, if there's no other questions or comments... And God willing, we'll see you at the same time next week, and we will pick back up in our textbook by the COVID's time, and, and we might get a little bit further than two or three pages into the explanation, maybe. But does it really matter as long as we're learning? Uh, doesn't make any difference how fast we go, how slow we go, as long as we learn something, and something that we can uh, use in our lives that, that's good for us, that we can actually use. Okay? So God willing... Uh, we'll pick back up on page 79, and we'll be in the last paragraph, since we've kind of went through the, the, the text in Malachi 6 and has given us a, uh, some insight to what the text uh, really means. Okay? So until then, you guys have a, a great week. Shavuot Tov, and we'll see you all next week.